0: All right, um, so we are, Lord willing, we are going to finish chapter four tonight. This is our fourth or fifth time on fifth week. I think our fifth week, I guess, on chapter four. And uh, I, I titled last week, Not Talk, But Power, but we never got to that verse, which is verse 20. But uh, I plan on spending some time there this week. So if you are following us with your own copy of scripture, um, then you're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're gonna start with verse 14 and uh, we'll go all the way through 21, all right? So once again, uh, the Apostle Paul has spent the first four chapters really addressing this issue of division in the Corinthian church over different leaders. And as I've said all throughout this time, this is very applicable to what we're doing right now in our country, uh, because there's a tremendous amount of division, uh, division in politics and division in, even within denominations, there is division um, over political issues, right? Are we gonna follow Orthodox Christianity and scripture or are we gonna follow the culture? And so churches are, you know they're dividing and they're going different directions. Um, there's tremendous division in churches over the LGBTQ issue. Even traditionally more conservative churches have chosen to uh, come out differently on that. So there are really three major positions that people are following. Um, let's just take uh, homosexuality and homosexual marriage as an example. Um, there is opposition and there really are not too many churches like this that are just utterly saying, you can't come to our church because, you know, you're homosexual uh, or that's your profession or whatever. Uh, you're a partnered gay couple, you can't come to our church. So I'm sure there are churches like that, but that's outright opposition. I'm just showing you an example of the division that we find today over cultural issues and um, Then there is the position that is called welcoming. This is where we are. You're welcome here. So I had a young lady that uh, stopped me outside the front of the church and she said, hey, I have this gay friend. What are you gonna say to her? I said, I'm not gonna say anything to her. She's gonna come to church and she's gonna listen to the word and you know, I'm not gonna tailor a special sermon. Oh, we have a professing gay person in our congregation. I need to pull up those verses, you know? And she said, you mean you're not gonna pull her aside and tell her it's wrong? I said, no, that's not what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna preach the word and anybody is welcome, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to affirm something that scripture is clear about. And scripture is clear about this. Um, There are a number of books that have been written in the last decade that try to make the Bible dance on the shelf and and turn it into uh, gay affirming, but you're not gonna find that in scripture. And so that is the final position. There's uh, you know, opposition, I guess you would call it, the opposing view. You can't be a part of our congregation because you're professing to be gay. Um, welcoming, you're welcome here, but we're not going to change our position as the result of where you're at. This, would, you know, this can be any p- issue in Scripture where uh, Scripture calls something sin, and we just are pursuing our own end. I've had you know couples come in here before that are heterosexual couples, they're living together, and of course, you know, if we sit down and talk, and they want to get married, the first thing that I tell them is, listen. You need to move out first and each of you need to get your life straightened out with the Lord and then continue to date and continue to pursue God's will. And then, of course, you know, we'll talk about, uh, you know, me officiating the wedding, whether that's going to be appropriate, but we'll, and I, you know, and I've done this. I've had, it's been years and years ago, I had a couple that came and, uh, they just admitted their life was just a disaster, right? They, uh, they'd left their spouses and committed adultery with each other and were, had been living together for years and years and years, but they were coming back to church and they wanted to do things right. And so, you know, I sought to help them and pray for them and talk to them and I ended up officiating their wedding and they've been happily married since then. And that was, I don't know, 05, 06, somewhere around there. Um, we're all imperfect. The question is, are you willing to go the right direction? So the final position, as I said, is gay affirming. And that is what is splitting, for instance, the Methodist Church right now. So because of the pandemic, uh, the United Methodist Church has not met in their, um, their council, whatever they call their. So Southern Baptists have the Southern Baptist Convention every year, and it's just, Literally thousands of Southern Baptists are appointed by their churches and they come together and they vote on all these issues and so forth. This is the Methodist version of that. I can't re- uh, the I can't remember the name of it, but it's their version of the Southern Baptist Convention where they all meet together and they vote on issues. Well, the last time they met was in 2019, I think. I, I don't think they meet every year. So maybe it was 2018 or something like that. But when they voted on this issue of whether, uh, for instance, uh, gay marriages could be officiated by a Methodist uh, uh, preacher, a Methodist bishop in a Methodist church. Um, the vote was very narrow, but they did vote to uh, go along with the uh, original Methodist documents, which say, no, the, uh, Scripture is what determines how we uh, address sexual issues and marriage issues and that sort of thing, which means homosexuality is not okay. Um, now, I think that even the Methodists that voted against uh, affirming homosexual marriage would have been welcoming, but they said, no, we've got to follow scripture on this. But it was a very, very narrow majority. I think it was like 52 to 47% was the the way the vote went. So even though the majority of 52% got their way, they have chosen to separate from the Methodist church. So it uh, uh, obviously they didn't meet in 2020. I don't think they're meeting this year either. They're not gonna meet until 2022, but this this group is basically saying, we're going to form our own denomination. And this is gonna cost them a lot of money because they don't, the way Methodist churches work is the denomination owns the buildings, right? So this is going to, you know, cause some issues. And uh, so they're going to separate out. And I think they're calling themselves the world Methodist church, I want to say. And, you know, they can't use the traditional Methodist symbology of the cross with the, the flame at the bottom of it and so forth. They've got their own and everything. But they're going to pursue those original uh, biblical Viewpoints on marriage and sexuality and all these sorts of things. Um, but I'm using them as an example because that's fresh on my mind. And that's an illustration of how divided these cultural issues have made even churches, right? So that's why I'm saying, I believe that this uh, 1 Corinthians and what the Apostle Paul is talking about is so relevant to us. Uh, The division was not over these cultural issues, over uh, so-called LGBTQ issues. Um, It was over the church taking sides with different leaders, although the leaders were not seeking to gain any sort of following or loyalty. They had just chosen to say, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or we are of Christ. And so this is what the uh, apostle has been addressing all the way to this point now Once we come into chapter five next week, then uh, the Apostle Paul is gonna start dealing with other issues. So I told you uh, my title for 1st and 2nd Corinthians, this overall study is God's dysfunctional people. This church was a mess. They were an absolute mess. And it's because they were living in a worldly culture and Corinth was right at the center of a very cosmopolitan, worldly area. It was financially very wealthy, and uh, you know, they, uh, they had pagan temples. They had all of these things going on. Um, so let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So the apostle Paul was not flippant about making his plans to come and visit them. Uh, He was really seeking the Lord. He knew that they needed his personal presence there, but he was responsible for many churches. So, this is why he's making his plan known to them, but he's also letting them know that's subject to what the Lord wills. And, you know, that's what we should all be doing about our plans, not just saying, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and our church is doing this, and, you know, I see all of these plans and programs and so forth. Are we really praying about that? Or are we just throwing up all of these plans and trying to get people to come and do all of these different things that basically just causes up to causes us to be tired <laughs> and doesn't necessarily grow the church? So I'm willing. Everything that's been planned this summer, somebody else has planned. I just want you to know that. Um, <laughs> it really has. Jacob's birthday party. That's not me. That's him and the ladies. And then two weeks later, I was like, is that too soon? The the big back to school thing. We're going to have a bounce house out there that's a water slide bounce. These are not things that I like to do necessarily. Other people are doing them. You need fellowship, I'm fine with that. But if we get in a grind where it's just wearing everybody out, then I'm gonna say, no, we're gonna tap the brakes on that and we're gonna wait a little while. I waited a little while before I did uh, the movie night. Uh, we did one. Uh, not last week, but week before last. And I'm planning on, Lord willing, doing one this Friday as well. But it was just looking like people were traveling and doing all these different things. And I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not doing this for me. So drama is another one. We have our drama club on Thursday, but I know several people, once again, that may not be here on Thursday. So I might not do it Thursday. It's a Lord willing situation. So we haven't gotten down to that point in the verse, but I don't plan on addressing that too terribly long. And I just thought I would pause there and say, that's what we should all be doing, right? Not just saying, Lord, bless what I'm about to do. And then we just go out and do it. But spend time with the Lord each day as you're planning and thinking through things, spend time with the Lord. I already had notes for this. And so I wasn't planning on adding to them, but I did, (laughs) I spent a bit of time today. So that's why I'm saying I'm gonna really try to get through chapter four, hopefully I will. So the apostle Paul says, you do not have many fathers. Now, this is a little bit of a difficult thing. Jesus plainly said, uh, call no man on earth father and call no man rabbi. And basically Jesus was referring to these honorific titles. In fact, Jesus was referring to exactly what the Corinthians were doing, which was saying, no, that's that's my rabbi, that's who I follow, none of these other people, right? And so although Paul introduced them to the gospel and had been teaching them all along, suddenly they were saying, no, that's, that's what Paul says, but I'm not following that. Now, I've heard people talk like this even in our day. So we had uh, a young man, a very sincere, young man, um, who I asked to play Jesus for one of my plays one year. Now he didn't have to do any lines, but he had, he had a good look for it. And all I needed him to do was come out and, you know, he would, he would stand with the spotlight on him and look very beatific. Right. And he just really took that role seriously, which I'm glad he did. But, you know, he started reading uh, the Gospels and he became convinced that we all need to keep the law in the Old Testament. That's very important. Well, when you read Paul, you can't hang on to that because Paul was very, very clear that Gentiles don't have to obey the old covenant law. It was for the Jewish people. And in fact, in Acts, you can't even get serious about Acts if you're gonna hang on to that because uh, the Jerusalem Council in Acts addressed that exact issue. The apostle Paul was saying, no, they don't need to be circumcised and they don't need to keep all these food laws and these different things. And they were, in fact, that's what got Paul arrested when he finally came back to the temple and was seeking to give an offering to the poor Jewish people that were there, as in literally they were struggling financially and he'd collected money from all these Gentile churches to bring back to them. And he was in the church and trying to prove uh, that you know he wasn't uh, seeking to derail Judaism. He was simply teaching the Gentiles the gospel and they were just enraged that Paul would, would say or do that. Their conviction was, you need to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. That means if you're a male, you need to be circumcised. Well, that's probably on the decline in our day compared to what it was previously, but it used to be, the majority of male babies in this country were automatically circumcised for health reasons in hospitals, right? So we don't see that as being a difficulty, but that was a severe challenge to adult Romans and Greeks to coming to Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like a badge of honor if one of these Judaizers could get you to go through it. Well, I imagine that's at least a week or two of pain, I would think, And you know, you're all doing it, and you're doing it, you know, ostensibly for it would have put a chilling effect on the spread of the gospel. But the Apostle Paul understood what the Old Testament was clearly pointing to, and that was the seed of Abraham is Jesus. He fulfilled the law. So that doesn't mean that we take off on other tangents, morally speaking. The moral law is still the moral law, but all of these other parts of the law that really were centered around the temple and Jewish community and setting the Jewish people apart from the nations and focusing, uh, that idea of circumcision uh, was focusing on this idea that it's the seed of Abraham that's traveling through the Jewish people that is ultimately going to result in Messiah. Once Jesus is Messiah, it's unnecessary. But this young man was—he was very serious about that. That's just no. This is—you uh, know—what we're going to have to do. And so he had a little group of followers. And uh, you know, I didn't kick him out of the church, but I told him, "You can't teach. I'm not going to let you teach in this church. You, you, i very clearly told you what the Scripture is teaching, and you're you're going your own direction. So, you know, you do what you do." So he did, and he had a little group of followers, and at least one of those followers was. He thought Paul was terrible. He wouldn't read Paul. That's half the New Testament that he wouldn't read. So it was basically, nope, won't read that. Nope, no, won't read that. This is the same thing. It's still going on today. It's like we pick and choose who we're going to read. You know, uh, Martin Luther, right? The reformer, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, the reformer. Uh, he didn't like the, the uh, epistle of James. He called it the straw epistle. He didn't like it. Because it talks about works. And, you know, he just really received this clear revelation from Scripture, from Galatians and from Romans, that we're not justified by works. And he didn't like the way James said, You know what? I really don't care. It's the Word of God. And I don't care if you're Martin Luther. You don't get to write it off. You really don't. You don't get to say, Well, I don't like those verses. No, it's the Word of God. And we do everything we can to teach it and to preach it and to follow it. It's the word of God, okay? So, same thing. So he says, look, I'm your father in the gospel. He's not contravening what Jesus said. He's simply pointing out, I'm the one that introduced this to you. if, you If you're gonna be loyal to anybody, you ought to be loyal to me. Well, he's always pointing to Jesus. He said very clearly here, I want you to imitate me. He said uh, in another verse, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what he's trying to say. He's always pointing to Jesus. So for instance, and this, this is in line with uh, people that will, uh, that will say, well, our, you know, our church is, is just the Christian church. That's all, we're not a denomination, we're just Christian. Okay, but these other churches, because they're called by a certain name, are not apparently, right? Well, our church is not denominational, we're non-denominational. So I always ask, where was your preacher educated? Where did your preacher get saved? What was their background? Because you're saying non-denominational, but that person has a history and has doctrine and has dogma and they're following a specific theological viewpoint. And they've chosen to take on some other things or not, but I want to know where you're coming from. There's no such thing as pure objectivity. You need to admit that you've got your own biases before you can be objective. You've got to say this is this is my approach, and that's what I always appreciated. Professors, you know, that would say this is this is my approach. Now here are the other views, and I, when I've taught Revelation for years, that's what I've done. I said, this is where I stand on these issues, but here are the other interpretations because n- there's never been agreement and consensus when it concerns the book of Revelation. It's a very difficult book to read, right? So we need to be charitable to each other on these debatable issues. We really, really do. It's important. Um, but all of us that are preaching the gospel, uh, I got saved in a Baptist church. That's where I came to faith. I'm not 100% lockstep in agreement with Southern Baptists. There's lots of things that I wish they would do differently. I don't go to the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, The first thing they need to do is change the name of the denomination. Try to talk to somebody that you're seeking to reach with the gospel about being a Southern Baptist. They're going to think you're a racist, right? So there's a group that really want to change the name. They want to change it to... uh, uh, great commission Baptist as following the, you know, the great command. That's great, that's a great name, but you got people, nope, we're not gonna change that. That's minor, okay? But there are issues uh, in other areas where I'm not in lockstep agreement, but I would tell you that the majority of the theology that I teach uh, is historically Baptist theology. And I think that it's legitimate and where there are deviations from that, then I am more than happy to explain why but I'm gonna give you my background and then I'm gonna be charitable. I, you know, We were doing lots and lots of work uh, with the Methodist churches in this area, more work than I've ever done with Baptist churches in this area, right? And gradually they are moving toward this affirming LGBT position, which is not permitting me to want to be involved in activities uh, with them. So, Nonetheless, I'm trying to say, uh, you have a history, right? Somebody introduced you to the gospel. It might've been your actual father. Uh, it might've been you know, a, a youth pastor, it might've been a, a pastor, or maybe you just read the scripture. Maybe like me, I was exposed to the gospel uh, through television. I listened to Billy Graham preach. And then this church that I encountered had a, a pastor that preached the gospel, Richard Jackson. So I was like, told my mom, I wanna to go to that church. Turns out it's the Southern Baptist Church. And the gospel was preached every Sunday and you know lots of people were getting saved and baptized. And so, yeah, I, I am proud of that heritage. I think that that's, and by the way, I was talking up Sunday about pride. There's a good example of positive pride, right? That doesn't make me think I'm better than other people. I'm proud of that heritage because that's a good heritage to have. And I'm proud to say that to you and introduce that to you, right? I'm not ashamed of that. Um, so, you know, fathers in Christ, um, Richard Jackson is a father in Christ for me because I was under his preaching for years. Now I didn't know him that well. This is a mega church. I met him a few times. Um, interestingly, uh, Scott Venable worked with him for a while when he was going to, uh, where, did, where did they go to college? Uh, come on, it's Howard Payne. It's where your son went. Well, I was trying to say it too. <laughs> You know, we couldn't like, not, remember the name. Not, well, I, could remember. I, I, I Yeah, I was, my brain was clotted up there. Howard Payne. So uh, Pastor Jackson has a, a ministry there. I, I think he still does. An evangelism ministry there, teaches there and so forth. And so he was pastoring a church there and Scott worked with him there. And so, which is really kind of interesting because I originally introduced all of you all to Pastor Jackson when I took you to that first ski trip in Santa Fe. He was the one that was doing that. Uh, but in any event, I'm, you know, I'm happy to say, hey, I, I was, I came up under these people and they taught me and, you know, the youth minister that, uh, that was uh, the youth minister at uh, North Phoenix Baptist Church uh, was a very strong, positive influence on me. I'm not sure, you know, if he would be construed as a father in Christ, but, you um, you know, I really, really learned a lot from him. And then another youth minister came along and you guys know him because I took you, uh, your kids to or your kid to uh, a lot of a lot of camps. That this guy did. His name was Rick Galsley. And he came to our church, was a youth minister there for a while and then went out, was an evangelist and then started his own church. And so in any event. Yeah. And none of these people are perfect people. Right. There are flaws in all of us and uh, you know Rick Alsley got into some trouble some years ago, and you know if you were hunting around for him online, then you would encounter some of that, but still a good guy, he's back in ministry again, and I'm glad for him, all right? So he says, I urge you to be imitators of me. Um, he's seeking to win their hearts back to him, right? And he's saying, follow my example, uh, rather than following the example of the culture around you, and then, He says, this is why I'm sending you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Well, Timothy is the example, right? He's the protege. Now here's the interesting thing. He speaks of Timothy as his son in the faith, but he encountered Timothy, and I wanna say Iconium, when he had gone out, this is when the Apostle Paul had gone out on the second missionary journey with Silas. And he did not take John Mark with him, as he and Barnabas had on the first missionary journey. In fact, this was the reason why he and Barnabas separated, because Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them as they were going out on the second missionary journey to check on all the churches they had started and then see what the Lord would lead them to do next. And Paul said, no, he left us on the first missionary journey. He forsook the ministry. I'm not taking him with us. And Barnabas was the very charitable, big hearted guy plus we find out uh, that uh, John Mark is his cousin. And so he wants to bring him along. No, let's bring him along. So they, the, it says, and this says this in Acts, the disagreement became so sharp that they parted ways. So Barnabas ended up taking John Mark and went back to uh, Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, which is where he was from. And uh, you know that's where they had started originally, uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas, they'd gone that way. And so then Paul went with Silas and they did not take a younger person with them, but they encountered Timothy. And like I said, I believe it's in Iconium. And so Paul, uh, his Timothy's mother and grandmother were Jews who had become Christians and he'd been introduced to the faith through them. His father was a Greek, so he was not circumcised. The apostle Paul knew that he wanted to take him along, He invited him to come along and, and you know, be mentored by them and be their assistant. And he said, okay, he said, so the Apostle Paul took him and circumcised him as an adult because back then, uh, it'd be kind of like going to the gym, uh, you know, uh, today where it's a locker room and there's a bunch of guys in there. And so you might happen to see somebody's manhood. Well, they were all in these public baths back then. So there was this, the Jews would actually spy out go to these baths and spy out and see whether Paul and his companions were circumcised. I know that's kind of really disturbingly, you know. But that's what the Apostle Paul says at one point. They were looking at our, uh, at our freedom in Christ. So, you know, at, uh, yeah, it's, it's out there. But that, nonetheless, that's what was going on. But he took Timothy with him and Timothy is, the, is listed as one of the authors of many of these letters. And so he really holds Timothy in high esteem and he's trying to point to Timothy as an example. Look at how this young man is when it concerns being a disciple. That's how I want you to be, right? So a wise man that helped me start this church once uh, taught that everyone should have a Paul in their life, a Barnabas or a Silas in their life, and a Timothy in their life. That is, you need to have a spiritual mentor, someone to disciple you, right? You need to have a spiritual partner, someone that you can share the ministry load with. And then you need to have someone that you're mentoring. I think that's wise wise advice. I have this brief excursus on denominational distinctives, but I'm gonna pass over that in interest of time. Um, we're gonna go down to this very, very powerful verse, verse 20, where he says, the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. That's, uh, that's what it actually says there. Uh, the, uh, the Greek is logos, which is the Greek word for word. Now, I copied this out of ESV several years ago, and I wanna see if it says talk, because in my copy here, I, I say it does not consist in talk, but in power. Yep, that's what, the, that's what the ESV says. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power, but nonetheless, that's it, interpreting uh, the word word, which is very broad. It can mean message, uh, it can mean word, or in this case, I think talk is an accurate reflection as well. Uh, I like that, okay, and we're gonna get to that in a minute. But let's look at this word power. The word that the Apostle Paul uses here is dunamis. Now, there are two words that could be translated, there may be more, but there are two words used in the New Testament that could be translated power. And the other one is exousia. And exousia means authority. So it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul did not use that word, right? Talking about, but see, you can have authority that comes from God, but that doesn't mean it's spiritual authority. The Apostle Paul said that governors are given authority from God to govern and keep the peace. He said the magistrate does not bear the sword with no purpose, right? It's to keep the peace. That's why this this whole defund the police, are you serious right now? Yeah, so in Minneapolis, apparently, which was the, the root of the tragic George Floyd killing, um, the city council became so enraged over that and so apoplectic and, and emotional that they voted to, they were going to not just defund the police, they were going to get rid of the police. Now exactly what kind of city would you have without police? Well, they didn't end up doing that. I don't know what all went down, but now they're seeking to refund the police where they had defunded. This is in every city. You have to have police. They're not all good. Most of them are are, are doing their jobs and they're doing the best that they can, but there are a few bad apples and there are a few really bad apples that are causing problems, right? Um, but you can't get rid of you. The the old saying is you can't throw out, you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. There needs to be some change in training and, and all these different things. But what I'm trying to say is authority comes from God, but that doesn't mean that all authority is spiritual authority. Does that make sense? Right? So a governor... Might be a governor that you like or that you don't like, but if they've been duly elected and they're in their office, then they have authority, and that authority is going to be upheld by God's word. But that doesn't mean that they're spiritual people. It doesn't mean they have spiritual authorities. So I think that's why the Apostle Paul uh, used this other word, dunamis. We get our English word dynamite from dunamis. It's the power that you would associate with miracles. Well, everywhere Paul went, you saw this. You saw healing. You saw miraculous things happen. Uh, in fact, <laughs> there's an account in Acts where the Apostle Paul was preaching, actually teaching, I should say, and he was pretty long-winded, and he, it says he taught until late in the evening. And he uh, there was a young man, I think his name was Eutychus, I think that was his name, uh, was in the window and they were up in the upper story and he fell asleep and he fell out of the window. Oh my. And they thought he was dead. The Apostle Paul went down and hopefully, I mean, the language isn't completely clear but he may have raised him from the dead. But th- this was the case with the apostles. Like, you know, uh, I mean, Peter uh, raised a lady from the dead. Uh, you know, she had died and, and her name was Tabitha and all of the women were weeping and she, apparently she you know, did some sewing and knitting, whatever, and they showed him all the things, you know, whatever. He sent everybody out and he prayed over her and yeah, raised her from the dead. That's dunamis. <laughs> when somebody dies and you bring them back from the dead, that's dunamis. Yeah. False teachers don't have that. Okay. So when you look at Jesus, you see it all over the place. And then Jesus handed that to his disciples. Right. The other thing that false teachers don't have the ability to do is cast out demons. Right. So there was a tremendous amount of spiritual warfare going on in Ephesus and Uh, At the outset of the ministry, all of these people brought their witchcraft books together and burned them, and it says that they were worth millions of dollars and so on and so forth. The Apostle Paul was in Ephesus for two years, but he started, he was so successful in the ministry there that he started cutting into the idol trade, as in IDOL, like little statues that they were selling. So uh, Ephesus had one of the seven wonders of the world in that day, the temple temple. to Artemis, and uh, the uh, craftsmen in the city got angry, and uh, they wanted to, you know, get rid of all these Christians, and they were screaming, "Great is Artemis of the Ephesians!" and and you know they went on and on, and you know tried to cause a riot and so forth. Um, but during the time that the Apostle Paul was there, a lot of demons got cast out of people. Right now, we don't like that. That just sounds real weird and. You know, we've seen movies and all these sorts of things, but demons are fallen angels that are following Satan in opposition to God. And they can influence people and they can even invade people and control people that are not controlled by the Holy Spirit, right? So the Apostle Paul had been casting these demons out. So there were seven exorcists, seven sons of one man named Sceva. They're called the seven sons of Sceva. This is an account in Acts, uh, chapter 20, I think. And uh, it says that they were trying to cast a demon out of this man. And the demon spoke through the man because they said, "We, we, we cast you out in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. Well, they didn't know Jesus, apparently. And they'd only heard of Paul. They just knew the power that he had. And the demon spoke through the guy. That would be scary. And the demon, apparently there were multiple demons, spoke through this guy and said, we know Jesus and we've heard of Paul, but who are you? One guy jumps on all seven of these brothers and beats them bloody and rips their clothes off. It says they ran out of there naked. I don't know what that's about. Okay. Yeah. If you don't have spiritual authority, you can't just wave Jesus name around like it's a talisman or a charm or a magic wand. It's not the way it works. Right. That's power. Power to stand against Satan. Right. You can't just say in Jesus name. If you don't have Jesus, you can't do anything in Jesus name. It's not a magic word. You have to have Jesus in you. You have to receive the Holy Spirit so that you have the authority to do that and act in Jesus' name. Then when you say it, it's the power behind it, right? That's what we have an example of here, right? Um, So a charismatic leader may have natural ability and talent, but God will anoint and fill and empower whomever he chooses and remove that power if the person fails to submit to the Lord. Here recently, I've been reading in 1 Samuel and have been reminded of Saul, which is interesting because what's Paul's original name before it was changed to Paul? Saul. Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He was named after this king. All right, a Benjamite. Paul tells us in Philippians that he uh, is from the tribe of Benjamin and he was named Saul because Saul was the first king which came from the tribe of Benjamin. But Saul is actually a sad story when he is called and anointed by samuel the holy spirit comes upon him in power and on a number of occasions he gets in the midst of prophets and he begins ecstatic dancing and speaking and what they call prophesying there was a saying about saul is saul among the prophets because he moved under the influence of the power of the spirit If you're doing any sort of spiritual leadership, you have to be endowed, clothed with power. There's a difference between receiving the Spirit and having the Spirit inside and having the Spirit over you, right? So in order to be saved, I have to have the Spirit inside. But in order to minister, I need to be filled with the Spirit. I need to be immersed in the spirit, I need to be clothed in the spirit, right? In order for the spirit to move beyond me to other people and cause a difference in their lives, cause conviction to take place. So Saul was chosen, he uh, was empowered by the spirit, but then he was disobedient. Now we won't get into detail on this because it's, it's a difficult obedience. Um, He was told to do away with the Amalekites, essentially, and he kept some of the spoil and he kept the king, Agag, for uh, his own glory, as in for Saul's own glory. And God said, this man isn't gonna be king anymore. Here's a brief account of that, 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel loved Saul, he really did. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded down to Gilgal. Yeah. Typical, self serving, self centered, selfishly ambitious, insecure, particularly men leader. Saul is a good example of what a man should not be, but what too many men look up to and are. I won't get into that. That's another sermon uh, entirely. So the result of this major disobedience and God saying, I regret that I've made Saul king, is he removed the Holy Spirit from him. Right? So the Holy Spirit that was empowering him, clothing him, was removed from him. And then what happened was a tormenting spirit from the Lord came upon him periodically. Listen to this next chapter in uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that is the next king, David, in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Now that doesn't mean the Lord gave permission for Satan to do this. And if you read the account in Chronicles, it says that the spirit was from Satan, saying that that's the origin. When God gives permission and it happens, he's taking responsibility for it. Does that make sense? Um, If you wanna be at peace, you need to be filled with the spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, You don't have protection and you don't have peace. That's that's not where we wanna be. So interestingly, the only way that Saul could get peace from this terrorizing spirit was through the music played by David who had been secretly anointed as the next king of Israel, whom the Holy Spirit had come upon, right? Um, This is verse 23 of chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came on Saul or came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand and Saul would be refreshed and be well and the evil spirit would depart from him. So Saul could no longer have the Holy Spirit's presence because he had rejected God's will for his life. But that doesn't mean he couldn't be exposed to the peace from the spirit coming from someone else. Right? You can... You can sense when you walk in to people's homes when there is peace. Now, I've had people, you know, when I've had my own apartment or my own house, whatever, come in and say, wow, it's just really peaceful in here. They don't know why. I know why. I can remember doing ministry, uh, this has been years ago since I had this particular experience, but I can remember one young man Uh, In fact, the Lord's taken that young man a long way because I know where he is now and he's really following the Lord in a big way. But I I can remember going to the, the home of one young man and I mean, I could just feel strife at the doorway of that house, right? So listen, there are spirits and you're attracting the Holy Spirit or you're attracting these other spirits, right? Our our world is filled with spiritual evil and many tormenting spirits are causing people to feel fear, anger, and depression today. I want you to take this example of David ministering to Saul, music is inherently spiritual. What do you listen to? Or do you listen to any at all? Uh, A wise practice for anyone seeking peace is to surround themselves with Holy Spirit anointed, call it your soundtrack right? And this is why the overwhelming majority of the time, I am listening to music that I think is going to inspire worship. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, there's a lot of worship music out there that's just, it's just formula. Um, So, you know, I listen to these different music services. And so, for instance, on Spotify or Apple Music, uh, if you listen to certain artists, then it will create your own radio station or, uh, one thing Spotify does is if I listen to a particular album, we used to call it, uh, once that's done, it continues to give you songs from similar you know, artists. But what I've noticed is there's just a lot of music. It's just, although it's supposed to be mer- worship music, it's very formulaic. And it's just, I, it doesn't inspire anything in me at all. I think music is spiritual and just because you're singing about Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that you're anointed to do so, right? You can be some very, very talented musicians. I think I mentioned this a couple Sundays ago uh, when I mentioned Justin Bieber and I hope he gets his life straight and he has a a background of, of Christianity and I, I think he's a believer, but, you know, he's kind of in that celebrity world and whatnot. But he was singing at some church, and and this was one of these cases I was mentioning earlier where somebody was holding their phone up so the audio wasn't very good. But he was up with one of the the members of this this group, uh, Maverick City Music, or at least, I don't know how all that works. The, The project that I keep recommending to you guys is Elevation Worship and Maverick City Music and the, the CD or album or whatever you wanna call it, the project is called Old Church Basement. And so one of those fellows that is uh, named on there, wherever his actual home is as far as leading worship, uh, was up there and you know he sings and plays keyboard and whatever and Justin Bieber was up on stage. And so they sang this song called Gyra Right. So you remember the old song, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me, for me. Oh, come on, people. Sing along with me. There's only a couple of Pentecostals in the room that even know that song. All right. See, I told you I was a Baptist, but I'm really a Baptocostal. But uh, Yira, right? Yira, Jireh, it means provider. And so this song is about God providing for you. It's a powerful song. You need to look it up. You need to listen to it. I'm telling you, you want to be blessed. You want to get out of this funk you're feeling. You want to get out of the anger and the sadness and the overwhelming emotions I mentioned before the pandemic started, right? Um, Then uh, anger, fear, sadness. Those are the three overwhelming emotions. And people are under the influence of those constantly. And it is the devil that inspires those for sure. Now, I'm not saying that there's not times that you should you know, fear a situation and get away from it, that's not bad, there's not times, there are not times that you should be angry at sin, but you know, be angry uh, and sin not, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and as I quoted on Sunday, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for the anger of people, human anger, does not achieve the righteousness of God. We justify our anger too often, But I'm telling you, and it's not bad to be sad sometimes. We need to mourn, we need to go through periods of sadness. The problem is when these things become overwhelming and they control us. Anger, hatred, sadness, depression, fear, panic, torment, right? That's the devil, straight up. If you have Jesus, you have the authority to rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus, but you need to stop surrounding yourself with junk. You don't need to be watching violent movies, horror movies, surrounding yourself with you know, music that's not inspiring you to think godly thoughts, right? Um, so what I say is unplug and repent, ask Jesus to save you from the fear or the panic, the hatred, the anger, the sadness, the depression, and realize that there's power in the name of Jesus. You know what you need to do? You need to say the name Jesus. You really do. No, 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 I'm not, okay. You're always thinking, I'm just giving you these suggestions. I'm giving you the power to get out of your situation. There's power in the name of Jesus and the devil is scared to death of Jesus. So they might, in your house, think that you're a crazy lady or a crazy man when you're standing up and just saying, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. But you know what? I've, you know, on up into my you know years, I haven't had one of these in quite a while now. But I mean, I've had fearful nightmares before, and I just I just sense the evil. I'm telling you what, I'm trying to say the name Jesus while I'm in the middle of it. I know it's, I know what's going on. I'm gonna say the name Jesus, I'm gonna say the name Jesus. It's like the devil's keeping me from saying the name Jesus. No, 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 no. I'm gonna say the name Jesus and it stops every time. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. I don't ever listen to secular music before I go to bed. I I try. There have been a few times when I've been reading a novel, like I'm reading a novel right now that's not a Christian novel. It's just kind of a story. But I try to be careful not to read those types of books anywhere near where I'm getting ready to go to sleep. Because I don't want to fill my mind with, these negative things. I don't want to fuel any sort of violence or anything like that. You've got to be careful what you do. There's a reason why so many people have an insomnia today and panic attacks today and whatever. Man, this is demonically inspired and we're just being stupid and going along with it. So uh, at the retreat last weekend, uh, Anthony brought a bunch of fishing poles up there. And uh, Craig caught a a fish and this was like in the middle of the afternoon when it wasn't even a good time to fish. And he was out there and, and, you know, they were using hot dogs for bait. I don't know how, I don't know what kind of fish goes after hot dogs. But uh, yeah, but the next day when I wasn't there on Saturday, they apparently got it figured out. And man, they caught some fish with that bait, you know. So the devil's throwing that bait out and throwing that bait out. And we're just, we're just swimming up and just grabbing it. And guess what? There's a hook in it. Oh, that hot dog smells good. You know? Well, look at that. It looks like a worm. It's wiggling on the top of the water. And we're just like those fish. And we just, don't <laughs> Well, our guys were Nice. They, you couldn't, this was catch and release. They couldn't, I, I asked them, I said, what are you gonna do with these fish? They didn't have anywhere to cook them. And they said, oh no, it's catch and release. we gotta just. So you know, those, those, and they were big mouth bass, is I guess what they were catching. And so they had to unhook them and throw them back in the water. Well, you'll be blessed if that happens to you, but you need to stop biting this bait. And that's what we're doing. Our culture is just providing it for us. Well, talk versus power. There's too much talk today. Too many people want to talk about their problems to get sympathy. Hmm. Do you just want to talk? Do you just want people to feel sorry for you? Do you just want to have a pity party and have all of us come? Because that's temporary relief from your problems. Or do you want to be saved? Do you want to be delivered? Do you want to be healed? See, what I do is I listen and then I say, let's pray. And then I let it go. And if I'm concerned about somebody, then I'll keep praying. There was somebody uh, uh, day before yesterday. And I was a little concerned because the last time I'd seen them, you know, I try not to enter into people's like emotional situations and it's kind of like you can throw gasoline on a situation <laughs> sometime if you if you're not careful. Um, those of you with children understand this. Sometimes you just need to ignore their meltdown until they get over it, right? Sometimes you can do something and sometimes you can't. And if you're a mom, you know what those times are. But nonetheless, um, I just kind of there was just kind of like a disturbance in the force, call it that, right? And so I was I was at the gym working out, and I just the, the person kept coming to mind, I just kept praying for them. Every time they come to mind and I'd be tempted to worry, nope. Pray for them, let it go. Pray for them, let it go. Because sometimes your brain just won't let go, will it? Warriors make good prayer warriors. You've gotta learn to pray. Stop worrying. Worrying accomplishes nothing. It gives you ulcers, it raises your blood pressure, and it does nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. But, You can't control the worry. You can redirect it and turn it into prayer. So that's what I did. Praying, praying, praying. Sometime later that morning, I saw that person seemed to be doing all right. Good to go. I was like, okay. Amen. Mm -hmm. You know, you might have a dream. You might have a a feeling. A lot of ladies, you've got that kind of women's intuition going on and Sometimes that's authentic and legitimate and sometimes it's just emotion. But you know what? If you can't tell the difference, you just pray. That's right. You can be the most incredible intercessor if you will just learn to pray and stop worrying and stop posting. Oh, yeah. My word! People post like they're praying. This and this and this and this and this and they complain and... Blah, blah, blah. Stop! Pray. If anything... You know, don't have one of those uh, TMI posts. Have you read those, right? Too much information posts. You're like, okay, whoa, what are we doing right now? I didn't wanna read all that. Post and ask people that, you know, are prayer warriors to pray. I've had that happen before when I've, like, I'm a terrible sick person. So when I've been sick before, I've, I've been just briefly, hey, I'm sick, will you guys pray for me? Because I am a bad sick person. I almost, and I might should have posted the thing about my back, I just was worried that it was too sympathy oriented because my back's still acting up a little bit, but man, July 4th weekend was rough for me. That's why I didn't go to the July 4th fireworks thing at Lijah's house. I was doing fine earlier in the day, but then later in the day, my back started deteriorating. If I sit too long, that's what happens. So I sit in my recliner and then my back freezes up and I'm like, oh, you know, you get up and you're like. Mm. We talk too much and we trust too little. Ooh, oh, might need to write that one down. You talk too much and we trust too little. Our world is filled with too much talk. There's too much debate and division. In the absence of spiritual sensitivity, people seek sensuality and they're energized by anger and hatred and self-righteous causes that divide. People need to feel something, right? So they go to a scary movie or they watch something that gets them mad or they watch these violent videos where kids are beating up on each other and other kids are filming it, you know, or, oh, look, it's a road rage incident. I don't want to watch a road rage incident. I can't do anything about it. It's just going to make me mad. So when I see those videos, I don't watch them because it doesn't do any good. I didn't watch the George Floyd video. It would have made me ridiculously, outrageously angry, and would have changed nothing. I can advocate, right? Um, you know, I, I I listen to what's going on, I pay attention to what's going on, and then I pray about it. I take action where I can take action, and if you can't do anything, stop exposing yourself to these worrisome news stories. Oh my goodness, so now we're at the Delta variant and the Lambda variant and uh, let's all freak out again. Let's all lock ourselves inside of our house and you know breathe pure oxygen or something. I choose to post the positive things when we're going the right direction, okay? According to some experts at Parkland Hospital, Dallas County has achieved herd immunity. 80% of the people in Dallas County have either been immunized or have had this. You're gonna be okay. I don't care about the delta variant and the lambda variant and the zeta, eta, theta variant. They really are coming up with that. Oh yes. No, no, it's it's more it's more infectious, right? See, but the issue is really what's gonna happen is people that haven't been vaccinated are more likely to get infected, right? It's 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 more infectious. But it's just like before you've you've got to make wise choices and you've got to be careful. So in any event, but this is an example of paying attention to certain sources where there's talk, 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 talk. And news media is it's natively catastrophic. They they traffic in catastrophe. That's what they're selling. That's how they keep you glued to the tube. And I don't care if it's CNN or Fox. It doesn't matter. They're using the same strategy. Right. It's it just it cracks me up because I see people on the left and I see people on the right and they're temperamentally the same person. They've just (laughs) chosen to attach to different ideals or values. Right. So I've got the people, you know, on my newsfeed that are constantly anti-vax, anti-vax. No, it hasn't been tested. We're all going to (laughs) die. It's okay. I've had it. I'm not dead yet. You know, and then you had the people before that that were no, we're all going to die. Stay inside and keep everybody safe and all these sorts of things. You know what? Fear doesn't help anything. But prayer does. Oh, there's another one you should write down. All right. So only through the Holy Spirit do we have power and we have access to the Spirit only because of the gospel of Jesus who died on the cross, died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's right. So you want peace? You want power? Be filled with the Spirit because He provides all of the above. And Christianity, right? It's about power, not talk, not arguments not even morality, it's about the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Be malleable to the spirit, right? Be moldable. Here's Here's words to a song by Keith Green. Keith Green passed away in a plane crash in Lindale, Texas in 1982, but he still has a powerful influence over a lot of us old Christians and Christian musicians. And this was a song that he did, I think he did it live. He didn't ever record it in a studio, but it's called Rushing Wind. I'm not gonna sing it, I'm just gonna give you the lyrics. And that's how we're gonna conclude. Rushing wind blow through this temple, blowing out the dust within. Come and breathe your breath upon me, I've been born again. If you haven't figured it out, rushing wind is the Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit, I surrender. Take me where you want to go. Plant me by your living water. Plant me deep so I can grow. Jesus, you're the one who sets my spirit free. Use me, Lord. Glorify your holy name through me. Separate me from this world, Lord. Sanctify my life for you. Daily change me to your image. Help me bear good fruit. Every day you're drawing closer. Trials come to test my faith. But when all is said and done, Lord, you know it was worth the wait. Jesus, you're the one who set my spirit free. Use me, Lord, glorify your holy name through me. And then the chorus again, and finally, rushing wind blow through this temple, blowing out the dust within. Come and breathe your breath upon me, for I've been born again. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for tuning in.